During Lent this year, we are spending some time learning kind of some, some disciplines or, or some ways that we can intentionally unplug from a chaotic and hectic and busy world. And so last Sunday, we talked about sacrifice. We talked about sacrifice, about giving something up. And I encouraged us to, to maybe try to give something up if we haven't given something up for Lent uh, before and to say, hey, let's, let's just try this for a week. And the intent was to remind us that God provides for us at all times and in all seasons. So Haley, my, my wife, decided to give up chocolate for the week. And if you know Haley, that is a huge sacrifice. But she figured it was only one week so she could do it. Remember last week I said, like, like broccoli for some of us is like, no, but coffee for me would be crazy. Coffee is like what it was for chocolate for Haley. And so she gave it up for the week. And yesterday we were in our kitchen and she said, I have a confession. I asked her if I could share the story, by the way. I'm not throwing her under the bus. She said, I, I have a confession. We were at Thomas's basketball game and somebody handed her a chocolate chip muffin and without thinking of it, she took a bite. She took a bite. So I naturally told her that she's failed Lent. <laughs> not at all. I didn't, no, I'm kidding. This season of Lent, the, the reason that we're looking at these, these six different disciplines isn't to set some sort of rigid rules that we have to fit into and that we should feel guilty about when we don't follow. That's not why we are stepping into Lent in the way that we are. That's not why we're looking at these six different practices, to heap shame or to make people feel guilty. So when if you make a mistake and eat a chocolate chip muffin, it's okay. It's okay. The season of Lent is about drawing near to God. And that is what we are, are trying to do this season. We're trying to take some, some disciplines, some practices, and say, you know what, there's so much going on in our world. Let's, let's take these next six weeks and let's be intentional to draw near to God. And so that's why we're talking through these different, um, these different passages. So this morning and this week, we'll be exploring the discipline of silence. And I'll encourage you to set aside some time each and every day of this week to quiet your heart and quiet your mind, to sit and to listen. So as we unpack a passage that reminds us that God often speaks loudest in a gentle whisper, I'd ask you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, give us the strength and the courage to slow down, to breathe, to listen. As our minds wander, focus our attention. As our bodies want to move and fidget, help us to be still. As our hearts stir, 
be with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. How many of you sat there during the first 30 seconds of that prayer and felt like this is eternity? Is he going to talk? It really was only 30 seconds. It really was only 30 seconds. Our second passage this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, the, the first 18 chapters of 1 Kings, they tell the story of, of King Solomon uh, stepping into power. King David's health is, fails and, and he names one of his sons that tries to kind of step in, but that son is unsuccessful. And then a prophet named David intervenes. Solomon becomes king. And he oversees the completion or the construction of the temple in, Ju- in Jerusalem. Over time, Judah and Israel, they grow increasingly, increasingly apart, with greed and idolatry being at the center of the debate. After a bunch of drama in Solomon's family, and I'm passing through a whole lot of history in a really quick time. After a bunch of drama in Solomon's family uh, and a series of kings uh, who fail over and over and over again, we are introduced to Elijah. He calls out the latest king to lead Israel astray. It was a king named Ahab. Ahab lovingly refers to Elijah as the troubler of Israel. And Elijah challenges him to a duel of sorts on Mount Carmel. A standoff where Elijah calls on God to show up and prove that uh, an idol named Baal was a false god. After the the shrine to Baal is destroyed, remember that's the the awesome part where, where, where he says, put more water, put more water, and then God still brings down the fire. So the the shrine to Baal is destroyed along with a lot of people, and Ahab is ticked to put it lightly. And we pick up this, starting at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Queen Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put, up, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At some point between the years 397 and 400 A.D., St. Augustine wrote his Confessions. His Confessions, they're 13 books that are, are part autobiography and part theological work. The ninth book, the ninth book includes a poem, includes a poem titled Entering into Joy. Hear these words. Imagine if all the tumult of the body were to quiet down, along with all our busy thoughts about earth, sea, and air. If the very world should stop and the mind cease thinking about itself, go beyond itself and be quite still. If all the fantasies that appear in dreams and imagination should cease and there should be no speech, no sign. Imagine if all the things are perishable, all the things that are perishable grew still. For if we listen, they are saying, we did not make ourselves. He made us who abides forever. Imagine then that they should say this and fall silent, listening to the very voice of him who made them and not that of his creation. So that we should hear not his word through the tongues of men, nor the voices of angels, nor the clouds thunder, nor any symbol, but the very self which is in these things we love, and go beyond ourselves to attain a flash of that eternal wisdom which abides above all things. And imagine if that moment were to go on and on, leaving behind all other sights and sounds but this one vision which ravishes and absorbs and fixes the beholder in joy, so that the rest of eternal life were like that moment of illumination which leaves us breathless. Would this not be what is hidden in Scripture? Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Imagine if the tumult of the body were to quiet down. Imagine if all things perishable grew still. Imagine if that moment were to go on and on and leave us breathless. About six or seven months ago, I was talking with my therapist about my overly active mind. Anyone else want to admit to having an overly active mind? Uh, and how I struggle to focus either when I'm, I'm here in my office at church or when I'm in the garage writing at home. I shared that even if the door is closed and my headphones are on and everyone knows I'm unavailable, if I'm around people I know and people I love, I can't help but feel pulled toward them. But, if I'm in a coffee shop or, or in, a, in a brewery or in a restaurant or even at the airport, if I'm surrounded by a bunch of people, somehow I can focus. And so I was talking with the therapist and I said, why? Why am I like this? Why? And he said, well, it makes perfect sense. 
I said, I'm glad it does for you. He said, it makes, it makes perfect sense. You like being publicly anonymous. He said, you, you like being publicly anonymous. I wanted to argue or defend myself, but, but I couldn't. When I'm here at church or at home, I feel the expectations of the people around me, even if they don't have them. I, I, I feel them. But when I'm in a public spot, writing or working or reading, I can sense all the craziness around me and focus my attention. It all just fades into the background. I can be still. I can listen. So when I read about Elijah retreating to the mountains, about the threat from Ahab and Jezebel, the earthquake and the wind, all, all the expectations, all the noise, I can relate. It is hard for me to find silence. Anybody else wired that way? I mean, how many of us here this morning have woken up at some point in the past week with something on our mind? If you're not raising your hand, everybody who is raising their hand is going to look at you and be, say, I'm really jealous, or say you're lying, one or the other. One of my favorite books on slowing down and unplugging is a, a book titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I've shared it with a few folks here at this church. It's based on a line from Dallas Willard where he said that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual formation. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual formation. Uh, the book's written by a guy named John Mark Comer, and, and as he talks about the different difference between internal and external silence, he points out just how much Jesus needed to get away. And while we can all think of all kinds of excuses, while we can all think of all kinds of excuses for why we can't sit still for why we can't set aside time for silence, especially in particularly busy seasons. Those are the times that we need silence most. Have you noticed that the busier you are, the more that you long for that time? Even Jesus needed time to slow down. Even Jesus needed time to seek silence. So it's probably something that we should learn to do as well. It's in silence that Elijah hears God speak his name, asking an important question that, that I actually think has way more to do with his emotional and spiritual whereabouts than his physical location. Where are you, Elijah? Where are you? It's a question I'd encourage us to, to be listening for this week. As I, as I ask you and encourage you to find some silence, where are you? Or maybe a, a better way to put it is, how are you doing? Be honest with yourself. How are you doing? How's your heart? How's your mind? What are you feeling in the depth of your being? Are you honest with yourself in that place? Where are you? Elijah couldn't even begin to answer that question until both the internal and the external world slowed down a bit for him. 
His encounter with God begins in the midst of panic. In the midst of of panic. Queen Jezebel had sent an army to find him. An army was running after him, so he does what any of us would do if an army was running after us, and he, he flees He ends up in Beersheba, which is kind of at the the southern border of Judah, the southern boundary of Judah. So it would have taken him multiple days to get there. But we get the sense that when he arrives there, he's still looking over his shoulder. He's still looking over his shoulder. He hasn't stopped running. He's still nervous. Jezebel's army is still coming. And so he leaves his travel companion, his servant, his assistant, And he heads off into the wilderness. Now, none of us, thankfully, are running for our lives like Elijah was. But I do think we can at least somewhat relate to how frantic he was as he ran. Before the battle on Mount Carmel, he cries out, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. I'm the only one left. No one understands me. No one's listening to me. I'm the only one left. He felt alone. And in the midst of those feelings of loneliness, the world around him just gets louder. The pressure just increases. He couldn't completely... Tune it out. And in the same way, no matter what is going on in our lives, there are times that it is impossible to avoid the noise around us. So it's totally okay if you hear me encourage you to find silence today and say, hey, this week, I'm going to say it later, find 15 to 20 minutes every day to set aside and to be silent. It's totally okay for you to say, but there's so much going on. There is. And finding silence is hard. It's difficult. We can't always tune it out. And so in order to try to tune it out, Elijah, he, he runs. And just like the passage that we read last week from the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, where God provides through, through ravens and a woman who is nearing death, God provides in the wilderness once again. This time in the midst of his exhaustion and the voice inside of his head telling him that he was the only one left. The one that was telling him that no one understood him. That he was no better than his ancestors. God gave him a place to rest. God gave him a a campfire. A loaf of bread. A jar of water. An angel of the Lord shows up and tells him that his journey wasn't finished. That he needed to eat and be strengthened because the road ahead was going to be difficult. So he finds a cave. And he walks in and goes to sleep. As quick as we might want to, to gloss over the, the food and the sleep in Elijah's story, I don't think we can. I think they're, they're very important. We, we can't get to the place where he hears God's voice, voice without recognizing that he had needs that need to be met first. He had been running. He was exhausted. He was famished. Elijah wasn't in a place to be silent, to listen yet. He had to take care of a few things. He needed to eat. He needed to rest. 
Quite frankly, some of us here this morning, we need that same thing right now. So if the person sitting next to you is asleep, don't bother them. They need that sleep. I'm encouraging us this week to find at least 15, 20 minutes a day to spend in silence. To reflect on that, where are you question. But you need to prepare for that time. It's not something you just say, okay, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now and I'm, 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 I'm going to do it, but I'm going to keep all of the noise around me. If you're sitting in silence and your stomach is growling or you're falling asleep, by all means, eat. Take a nap. I'm a firm believer that we actually have to prepare ourselves to practice these disciplines, especially when it comes to listening for God's voice. <clears throat> the King James Version of the Bible says that, that God speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. It's not in the mighty wind. It's not in the earthquake or the fire on the mountainside. It's in the gentle whisper. He finds clarity. Elijah finds clarity. And he can finally answer that, where are you? Question. But he can only do that after he's still, after he slows down. He'd been running around like a, a madman, wondering what he would do next. How he could solve the problems that he was faced with. And what he needed to do was to stop. To listen. To slow down. To reconnect with the God who, who created him, called him, and gave him purpose. In verse 14, Elijah answers that question. And he answers the question, where are you, Elijah, with a relatable lament? God, I've been working so hard. I've been following your instructions. I've been doing everything you've asked me to do. And it's not working. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left who understands that. He pours out his heart. Shares his mental, emotional, and spiritual state. But only after he sits in silence. Only after he hears that still, small voice. My guess is that when most of us pray, we spend a lot of time talking. Especially if there's something important in our lives going on. We plead with God to show up. Maybe even looking in the metaphysical or metaphorical fires or wind. We, we, we look for answers. And we risk missing God's gentle whisper. The Apostle Paul, he calls the practice of listening for that, that still small voice, praying without ceasing. And the author, Richard Foster, refers to it as sitting in perpetual presence of the Lord. So last week, I encouraged us to give up something for a week to try out this Lent thing. And this week, I'm encouraging us to prioritizing finding space for silence. 15, 20, 25 minutes, maybe longer. Whatever works for you, but don't forget to... Prepare for that time. Maybe it's going out on a walk 
and not having your headphones on while you walk. Maybe it's in the car and turning off the talk radio that you're listening to. Maybe it's sitting at home and turning off the television or turning off the music. There are plenty of distractions around us. Some of the noise can't be avoided. So do your best and be sure to take some time to actually prepare to listen for that small, still voice. Let's pray. Lord God, in a busy and noisy and hurried world, we thank you for the gift of silence. May we look for it. May we listen for it. And be intentional with setting aside time to reflect on that where are you question. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.